Good morning and welcome to Green Tea Conversations, the radio show that delves into the pages of Natural Awakenings magazine to bring you the local experts who share their progressive ideas and the latest information and insights needed so you can lead your best life. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine, and I am honored to bring these experts to you. Today on our show, in honor of Mother's Day, we are welcoming into the studio naturopathic Dr. April Jones who specializes in women's health, including preconception health, postpartum care, and menopause, perimenopause. Welcome to the show, April. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. We are very excited to have you in the studio. And whenever we get started, you know, Mother's Day is always a great time to talk about women's health and talk about reproductive health as mothers, as we're celebrating our mothers. But May is also for Natural Awakenings is also our women's health issue. And so I was really excited to be able to talk to you because I know this is an area that you really specialize in. But before we get into that, I always like to ask people to kind of introduce yourself. Tell us what brought you to becoming a naturopathic doctor and what your journey has been like. Of course. Yes. So you know, ever since I was young, I've always been fascinated by science, human health, everything that kind of fits into the medical sphere. And so when I went to college, my plan was to become a doctor. And so I obtained my undergraduate degree in nutrition while also, you know, completing my pre-med requirements. And I chose nutrition because while I loved science and while I loved medicine, nutrition was like my gateway into holistic healing. That's kind of what I call it, you know? So We've got holistic health, which is like that full body health and like nutrition felt like one of, you know, my favorite topics and like kind of like the beginning of what really sparked my holistic journey. And so after I completed my undergraduate degree, I started working as a health coach. And this was like in, you know, in between the time where I'm supposed to be applying to schools and, you know, getting some life experience under my belt. And while I was working as a health coach, you know, I really identified a need in my clients to have more support with like their foundations of health, right? Because I was seeing people with all kinds of medical conditions from like heart disease to, you know, people who are trying to quit smoking cigarettes to people who are looking to lose weight or improve their diets. And I was essentially coaching them and helping them, you know, make really attainable and sustainable goals so they could achieve that. And what I heard a lot of them saying is that, you know, yes, I have, you know, this medical condition, but I don't want it to get worse. I really want to work on my lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. so I felt like there was a need for more medical providers who had the time and space to work with patients on those foundations of health, you know, as opposed to just like maybe managing their chronic conditions, which is also so important. And this kind of led me down the path of naturopathic medicine. Why naturopathic as compared to allopathic medicine? Yes, yes. So naturopathic medicine really, you know, looks at individuals as a whole. So that's like one of our tenets of medicine is like treat the patient as a whole, right? Not just their symptoms. And so in naturopathic medicine, we are trained to essentially be holistic primary care providers. We're trained to treat disease, but by looking at people as a full spectrum of health, right? Or looking at them like in their full spectrum of health and seeing how that may be contributing to any concerns that they're having. And so, 
naturopathic medicine. Also, you know, I got to study nutrition, herbal medicine, homeopathy, you know, exercise, mindfulness, all of these really fascinating things that I like to read about in my spare time. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to go back to school for four more years, why don't I do something that is like really going to light me up inside? You know, one of the things that I find most interesting, and I did a lot of research myself when I started to get to the age of perimenopause, and I was having issues myself, I was doing a lot of studying, and I was amazed to find out that in allopathic medicine, there's very little information about hormonal health. Like they don't have a lot of background on hormones. Yeah. And this is one of the areas that you kind of specialize in, which is hormonal imbalances. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Of course. Yes. So when you think about hormones, right, what first comes to mind usually for people is like our sex hormones, which are what are mainly being affected when we're in that like perimenopausal and menopausal time frame. But our hormone system is called our endocrine system. And this is the system in our body that controls all of the different hormones. So anywhere from like your thyroid hormone to your like blood sugar metabolism hormones to your sex hormones. And so I consider like hormone health to be one of my areas of expertise because that is something that I'm always taking into consideration when I'm working with patients. And, you know, with the endocrine system, it's a very fine-tuned machine. You know, it is like, I like to call it like the Goldilocks system. So with our hormones, our body does a really good job at keeping those in balance when there is homeostasis in the body and, you know, when things are functioning optimally. But when one of them gets tipped out of balance, then we may have symptoms. And so this is just a great area to work on. And I I feel that a lot of people, you know, are kind of coming to me with concerns in these areas because they're not quite feeling their best. And so there's a lot we can definitely do from a holistic lens to improve the hormone system. So what are some of the ailments, I guess you could say, that you tend to help people with when it comes to hormonal imbalances? Yes. So I see a lot of women, you know, young women that are coming to me with maybe irregular or painful periods, right? So they're not getting their menstrual cycle on a regular basis or they are, and it's very painful or very heavy. Also, I see some women who come to me with concerns uh, like PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that is kind of a constellation of symptoms that becomes a syndrome. And it's very common. A lot of women have it. And this can cause things like irregular menstrual cycles, difficulty with becoming pregnant, unwanted symptoms such as like hair growth, you know, hair loss, hormonal acne, things along those lines. So that's a big one. And then another one, you know, is just kind of when women are in that stage of wanting to become pregnant, and maybe they're having a hard time, there could be something going on with, you know, some type of hormone imbalance. So we can look at their sex hormones and see what's happening there. So what are some of the ways that you help people in treating it or, you know, to get uh, relief from the symptoms of it? Definitely. Yeah. So what I always start with is a workup, right? Because it's great to have some objective information, you know, on paper, what's going on. Some people come to me with a current diagnosis. Some people come to me and they haven't received a diagnosis thus far. So the first step is usually obtaining labs, you know, imaging if it's required as well to get that information. We're kind of wanting to rule out any medical conditions that may be causing their concerns, right? Because if there's something underlying, we definitely want to address that. 
And then once we've identified what's going on, I like to utilize a variety of different treatment modalities based on what the person is going through individually, right? Mm -hmm. So some examples of that, kind of coming back to those foundations of health, right? So we're wanting to work on things like sleep. If somebody isn't sleeping well, the whole rest of their health is, you know, maybe going to spiral down. How are people eating? Are they nourishing their bodies with, you know, really nutrient-dense foods? I always approach diet in a non-restrictive lens. So, you know, I'm never like recommending anything super restrictive or that doesn't fit with somebody's lifestyle. And I think that's important to mention because, you know, some some people might be kind of scared to talk about diet because they think they're going to be judged or, you know, nothing has to be perfect. It's all about balance, right? Mm -hmm. So sleep, we've got diet, we've got movement, we've got stress management. So movement and stress management can go hand in hand. When I say movement, I'm kind of referring to exercise, but I don't like to use the word exercise because some people have that negative connotation on exercise as well. Maybe, you know, they've punished their body with exercise in the past or just haven't found those things that they feel good doing. Yeah. So, you know, but movement is so good for us. So it's like, you know, trying to find ways we can move our body to feel good. And then stress management is a huge piece too, right? So we can use all kinds of things from like herbal medicine perspective to kind of help the body adapt to stress, right? Like there's different herbs and adaptogens that we can use to lessen the blow of these stress hormones on the body. But then we're also wanting to have some practices in place, whether that's like seeing a therapist, going to acupuncture, doing breathing exercises. So really working with the patient on what works best for them. Oh, that's great. So when it comes to, you had mentioned PCOS. And that is something that is very, very common in our culture. I think, you know, in the last probably 10, 15 years, I've heard so much more about it. And maybe it's just because of social media where, you know, (laughs) it's so much more people are talking about it so much more. But when I was younger, if there was any kind of female issues going on like that, people tended, doctors tended to just kind of immediately put people on the pill and try to regulate it that way. Do you find that you have people coming in who have who have had that and don't want to use that? Or are they using this in conjunction or kind of both? Well, both. Yes, definitely. So, but I I do see a lot of women who have that story. You know, they had a regular cycles, they were put on the birth control pill, they are coming off the pill for whatever reason, or maybe still on it. And they're kind of curious about their health. You know, they're worried that maybe their cycles are going to be irregular again, or they're experiencing that they are. And, you know, what the pill does is it kind of masks any symptoms, which, you know, there's no shame in taking the pill if that's what a woman wants to do. I fully believe in a woman's right to choose what she wants to do. But, you know, with the people that I'm seeing, we are either like kind of working on supporting their health after coming off the pill and trying to identify if PCOS was the cause of why they were put on it in the first place, or if they know that they have PCOS, there's still so many other lifestyle things we can address to bring down those symptoms. So when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit about post-pill syndrome as well. So for people who want to learn more about the work that Dr. Jones does, visit apriljonesnd.com. And that's apriljones, N as in naturopathic, D as in doctor.com. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And we will be right back. 
to Green Tea Conversations. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and today we are visiting with naturopathic Dr. April Jones. So, Dr. Jones, you had started to kind of talk to us a little bit about hormonal imbalances, and we had started to kind of touch on the birth control pill. And so one of the things that you see people for quite often is post-pill syndrome. What is post-pill syndrome? So post-pill syndrome is something that we're seeing a lot of. So what this is, is, you know, we are seeing this generation of young women who are coming off of the birth control pill. Maybe they've been on it for, you know, the last decade. They may have been put on it to address symptoms of irregular cycles, to address painful periods, or maybe, you know, they were using it for contraception and they're coming off of it and they're noticing some symptoms that are unwanted, right? And so some common things that we see are symptoms such as hormonal acne, which can be really bothersome for a lot of people, irregular menstrual cycles, you know, mood changes. And what's going on is there's something called the HPO axis, which is our hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and ovaries. So it is the connection between these three areas. So your hypothalamus and your pituitary gland are both in your brain. And what they do is they speak to each other and then they send messages down to your ovaries. And this is the connection that comes online when you start your menstrual cycles. Mm -hmm. So when you first start your cycle, your HBO access is online. I say it's kind of like dial up because it's going to take a while to kind of, you know, come on board. It takes, you know, on average about two to three years until that communication is strong. And what the birth control pill does is it kind of shuts down that communication because you're taking in these hormones from an outside source. So they call it like an exogenous source. So outside of you, and it's kind of shutting down your own hormone production. And so once you take away this medication, then your HPO access has to come back online and kind of relearn that, right? So if you're somebody who, you know, doesn't have PCOS or like a thyroid condition or other things going on that could affect your menstrual cycles, you could kind of go back to your normal cycles and not have any issues at all, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't affect everybody who's coming off the pill. um, But this is when we're going to see those people who maybe have something underlying going on um, too. It'll kind of like make those conditions show up a little bit more strongly And so it's a time where I feel that a lot of women could use support and who often are seeking support. And, you know, we do a lot of different things to help kind of help the body's detoxification systems, get rid of these outside hormones, get those own, you know, communication systems working again in the body. So there's a lot of things that we can do from a holistic lens to kind of get that back on board. You know, I worked with someone who is about 10 years older than me. and. In the 80s, it was very 80s and 90s, very common to be put on birth control to help regulate periods. And she had been on the birth control pill for over 30 years. And she was 55, menopausal, and they finally took her off. And it just really, really messed with her health. And I mean, it's I couldn't believe that she'd been on it that long, that they'd allowed her to be on it that long. But I think it just got to be so common for so long that the doctors didn't really pay attention, right? She wasn't having any issues with it. So it was, and when they would talk to her about wanting to get her off, she'd say, oh, I want to stay on it a little longer. 
And then when she finally did come off it, it really messed up where she was at in her menopausal cycle. Do you work with people who are coming in menopausal or coming into menopause who are still on the on the pill and having to get weaned off that as well? I do. Yes, I've seen that quite a few times. And, you know, it's kind of supporting those similar systems. And then also in that perimenopausal and menopause, like after menopause, so in that postmenopausal timeframe, we're really wanting to support the other endocrine systems. So I know earlier I mentioned like we've got a lot of different hormone systems in the body, right? So the sex hormones are going to kind of do what they're going to do during menopause, right? The ovaries are no longer able to produce uh, healthy eggs to ovulate every month. So you still have some eggs left, but you're not able to ovulate. So you're not getting that same like estrogen and progesterone production. So I think it can be really nice during this time to support the adrenal system and to support the thyroid system. So those are other endocrine hormone systems. And when those are kind of, you know, nourished and really cared for, it can make those symptoms during that transition through menopause a lot more smooth and and a lot more um, livable. I understand during the break we were talking and you said last night you did a presentation or the other night you did a presentation on understanding the menstrual cycle. Why don't you tell us a bit about that presentation and what what you shared with people? Yes, yes, I'm happy to. So it was really fun. It was a collab between me and um, one of my colleagues. And we kind of focused on understanding the menstrual cycle as a whole by looking at the seasons, right? So we have our four seasons Mm -hmm. and we also have four seasons of the menstrual cycle. We have this beginning phase, which is going to be menstruation. So that's when you're on your period. You know, we kind of correlate that with winter. We have the um, follicular phase, which is that beginning phase. We correlate that with spring, right? So that's right after the period begins. You know, you're kind of getting your energy back as you're starting a new cycle. Then we have the ovulatory phase, which we we correlate with summer because during ovulation, a lot of women like feel a lot more energy, um, testosterone kind of peaks, and that gives us a lot of drive and motivation. And then after ovulation occurs, we have the luteal phase which is like our fall. And so during the class that we taught, I really focused on, you know, first understanding the menstrual cycle as a whole, because while we learn about this in health class, right, maybe in middle school, you know, we're young and maybe we don't take in everything. And, you know, it's, it's a quick class. Everybody's just trying to get through it. They're trying to give you the information, but I feel like there's less focus on like really having that body literacy and like understanding how your cycle works and understanding how you can move through life in a way that is really nourishing to you by paying attention to your cycle. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of a superpower, like being able to, you know, know what hormones are highest during each phase and, you know, knowing how that may affect your, you know, your mood and your energy levels and like the ability to show up and, you know, present for a class or maybe like the need to actually like retreat and, and, you know, really rest like you would need to on your menstrual cycle. So what are some of the bits of advice that you can give people in these different stages? Absolutely. Yeah. So during menstruation, I absolutely think that it is a permission slip to rest, right? So it's a good time to give yourself time to 
lay down. If you can, you know, have your heat pack, move a little bit more slowly, kind of um, from like a mental, emotional piece. This can be kind of a good time to like dream or like kind of plan for the future, but not really make, make or have the need to take action on that. So Mm -hmm. menstrual cycle rest, like give yourself permission to rest. After the menstrual cycle ends and you're in that follicular phase, um, this can be a good time for you to like plan social events and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, get together with friends. Like your energy is like spring energy. It's fresh, you know, you're kind of creative and you're wanting to do projects. So this is a good time to do that. During the ovulatory phase, I feel like that's like the most confident phase in the cycle. So that's kind of a good time to like, if you have a big meeting coming up at work and you need to present, like that would be a good time to do it. It would be also a good time to kind of keep that social calendar going. But knowing that you're about to enter your luteal phase, which is like your fall, you kind of want to start slowing down a little bit and like, and plan ahead. So during like the luteal phase, it's normal for women to kind of start to feel a little bit more introspective, a little less social and, you know, a little bit more in tune with what they need and unapologetic about that. And I think that's one of our superpowers too, right? So during that luteal phase after ovulation, it's kind of nice to slow down a little bit. You know, you might still have a little fresh energy from ovulation, but as you move closer to the cycle, it's good to kind of slow down and nourish and get ready for that next cycle to begin. I just love that. Thank you. (laughs) I love that whole idea because it really does speak to the different seasons and how we kind of show up in the different seasons and uh, having just having that time giving permission, right, to take the time to rest and relax when you can. Now, of course, we've, you know, we also understand that sometimes young moms are not able to get all that rest (laughs) that they want, or, you know, people who I have jobs that are require a lot of them may not be able to do that. But when you can, definitely, definitely do that. So one of the things, and we have about a minute left here before we have to go into another break, Um, But I want to start talking about thyroid support because that too is one of the hormones that people get treated a lot for, but don't necessarily understand a lot. Yeah. So your thyroid is like a butterfly shaped gland on your neck and it produces hormones and it's kind of that same system. So your brain talks to your thyroid, your thyroid talks to your brain, right? And thyroid hormone is responsible for like energy metabolism. And so not just metabolism in the way where you're breaking down food, but it's just like there are thyroid receptors all over your body and it's an essential hormone. So if a woman has a thyroid condition, it's really important to take into consideration those foundations of health that I was talking about before, right? Because that is whether, you know, or not she is on medication for it, or if it's something in a family history that she's trying to avoid, having those foundations of health in place is going to make the thyroid condition a lot easier to live with. So when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation because I have a couple of other questions about thyroid health. But for people who want to learn more about the work that Dr. Jones does, visit aprilnd.com. And that's aprilnd.com. as in naturopath, D as in doctor.com. To read the online version of Natural Awakenings magazine, visit naturaltwincities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on am950radio.com, on Apple and Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back.
to Green Tea Conversations. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and today we're visiting with naturopathic doctor, April Jones. So just before the break, we were talking about thyroid health, and you were talking about how you help to work with people who come in for different types of thyroid issues. But one of the issues that comes up a lot, and not something that I ever heard about when I was in childbearing age, (laughs) I guess during that time, but yeah. when I was younger, we never heard anything about it. And now you hear about it so much is the Hashimoto's disease. Yeah. Uh, can you help us to understand what is Hashimoto's? Absolutely. Yeah. So Hashimoto's is a type of thyroiditis. So it is a thyroid disorder and it is an autoimmune thyroid disorder. So I see a lot of women with hypothyroidism. So hypo means that it's under-functioning, so a under-functioning thyroid. And one of the biggest causes of hypothyroidism is autoimmune disease, which is Hashimoto's. And so it was named after a doctor. So that's why it has the name Hashimoto. It was named the doctor who discovered it. But it is an autoimmune thyroid condition. So the body is mistaking, you know, the thyroid tissue for like a foreign invader. And it is kind of attacking thyroid hormone and sometimes the thyroid gland itself, right? And so this is why it's so important to not only get a proper diagnosis, because oftentimes a lot of women are diagnosed with hypothyroidism without having their thyroid antibodies ran. So they don't know that it's actually autoimmune in nature. And what we know about autoimmune disease is if we really work on reducing inflammation in the body, we can kind of lessen that burden of the autoimmune, you know, pathways that are happening in the body. So I think, you know, number one, if you have a thyroid disorder and you've never been tested to see if it's an autoimmune cause, then I think that that's really important. And then once you have that information, I think that further brings to light the fact that, you know, these underlying mechanisms that are causing your immune system to kind of go haywire and attack your healthy tissue really need to be addressed. You know, it's interesting to me because I knew a few people when I was like in my 30s, you know, a few people who were in my around my age or even a little older who were on thyroid medication. Yeah. But as I got older, even people who were a lot younger than me, there's so much more people being diagnosed and being treated with thyroid medication. And so a part of me says, is it because we're just able to diagnose it better, people are more open to understanding it, doctors are more open to understanding it, or is it because of our lifestyle? And like you said, if it's an autoimmune disorder and the inflammatory, you know, having your body in an inflammatory state really affects that. So definitely. What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like when you look at the medical literature, there's a lot of focus on environmental factors, right? Because we know we are being exposed to a lot more toxins in our environment, right? In like the last, I don't know, at least the last 50 years, probably before that. But there's a lot that goes into that and how our bodies function. And so I think that that might be a big cause of the rise in a lot of our autoimmune diseases, especially. Hashimoto's thyroiditis as well. And so, you know, it's not to say that if somebody lives like a super inflammatory lifestyle that they're going to develop an autoimmune disease, but what it does is it kind of just weakens the system. So if they're predisposed to developing it, because there is a genetic factor involved as well, um, then it, it may increase the chances of that happening. 
So one of the things that you really love to do in your practice, I know, is to help women get ready for childbearing years and get ready for that preconception care. So tell us a little bit about what you do in helping women get ready as they're going into that time. Yes, yes. Thank you. It is one of my biggest passions is, you know, helping people prepare themselves for pregnancy, you know, in whatever way they're going to accomplish that. And in an ideal world, we would be able to start preparing for pregnancy a full three months before it happens. And the reason for that is because the egg that you are going to ovulate that maybe will, you know, become implanted and a baby will be made starts maturing about three months prior. And so the same with men, you know, sperm production, you know, a new set of sperm, sperm is produced a lot more frequently than eggs are in women. But, you know, I think the cycle is about like 72 to 74 days, somewhere around there. So it's about in that three month mark too. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we have the capacity to be able to really remove toxins from our life, start nourishing ourselves in the way that is going to help us achieve kind of that like peak optimal health before getting pregnant. Not only is it going to affect the health of your future baby, but it's going to help make sure that you're healthier throughout the pregnancy. And then we'll also help with that postpartum phase too. So I really like to think like my biggest words during like preparing for pregnancy is just like support and nourish the body. I don't want it to be stressful because we know that stress isn't good either, but like, you know, finding those ways where we can really support and nourish all of our cells, all of our tissues, because that's also going to help our reproductive system too, in preparation for pregnancy. So what are some of the suggestions or some of the advice that you give people as far as preparing and looking at their nutrition, looking at the different aspects of their life, what are some of the things that you suggest for them to do? Definitely. Yeah. So I always try to help people get on a really good quality prenatal. You know, there are about a million out there um, and some are made uh, better than others. So that's like a good place to start is like, let's get you on some really great supplements that are going to, I like to think of uh, supplements or like a prenatal multivitamin as, as almost like an insurance package that you're at least getting like a good amount of those required nutrients to grow a healthy baby. Right. But then we can bring in diet too. So with diet, focusing on antioxidant, rich, colorful fruits and vegetables, proteins, healthy fats. We want carbohydrates in the diet too, but, you know, focusing on like those whole grain sources is so wonderful. And then from like a stress management piece, like I said, we don't want there to be too much stress. So, you know, doing the things that feel really good to you, moving in ways that support your body, kind of dealing with you know, underlying stressors and traumas if you need to, whether that's through like therapy or other types of energy medicine to kind of create that mental and like spiritual space to start a family as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so important for that young baby that you are creating within you, (laughs) that you are growing within you. Yes, yes. I also find it really interesting that what we eat in pregnancy is so often what our children want when they get a little older. I remember my son calling me, he was in college and he was in finals and he said, I cannot figure out why, and this is awful. So don't judge me on this, but he said, I (laughs) can't figure out why I am hungry for olives and M&Ms. Oh, cute. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I, that's what I would eat if I had, I had cravings of olives and (laughs) M&Ms. I love that. But I think it has a lot to do with, 
<laughs> you know, when you felt safe, when you felt nurtured, when you felt cared for, when you were in the womb. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So you also work a lot with people in postpartum care. So what are some of the things that you see in postpartum care that you can really help people in overcoming? Yeah. So common concerns I see um, for women who are postpartum, whether they're, they've just had a baby or they have like small children, you know, or even if their children are a little grown sometimes too, but really in that like fresh period of time, often, you know, a lot of fatigue, some anxiety, maybe a little bit of a low mood. And they're just not feeling like themselves, right? Their lives have completely changed, whether it's their first baby or they're adding on to their family. It's a lot. It's a lot of pressure on women to be, you know, the sole, you know, nurturing care providers oftentimes. And so I think that there's a lot of focus on, you know, the baby's health after childbirth, which I think is essential, right? We need that. But the support for the new mom kind of drops off sometimes after that, like first six weeks right? Unless she's just like going to her doctor and sometimes she doesn't feel like she has time for that. And so I think those are the biggest things that I'm seeing. And, you know, oftentimes kind of like looking at labs and seeing, you know, are there any nutrient deficiencies? Like you just were pregnant for nine months. Like, you know, what maybe, you know, what was the state of your health before coming pregnant? And sometimes it's really easy fixes, like, you know, just like really easy things that can be addressed through some supplementation, some dietary changes, right? And that includes like even for anxiety. There's a million different causes of anxiety. And, you know, some of those can be those like underlying nutrient deficiencies or things along those lines. Talk a little I bit think, about that because anxiety yeah, is such a huge thing. It is. Anxiety, <laughs> yeah, it's so big. And I mean, I'm sure like you being in the health space and like people who are listening probably acknowledge that like, you know, there was always a lot of anxiety. And then with COVID, it kind of just amplified everything, Mm -hmm. right? And we're still kind of learning how to live again. after, Even though COVID's still happening, you know, we're kind of learning how to readjust back to life. So a lot of the causes of anxiety that we can look at on lab testing, right? We could look at how's the thyroid functioning? How are the sex hormones looking? Are there any nutrient deficiencies? Is the blood sugar balanced, right? Because if our blood sugar is imbalanced, it can cause all kinds of anxiety. We can look at gut health too, right? So we could do stool testing. If there's any type of underlying GI conditions, we can kind of look at that. And then there's also more of the mental emotional piece, which is absolutely going to affect the rest of the body. And so I always like to recommend that, you know, if therapy is within the means of the patient that I'm seeing, like getting a really great therapist on board or some other kind of support to make sure that they are taking care of their emotional health too. There's also kind of like, that piece of focusing on resolving, kind of like I mentioned before, like resolving any traumas, you know, childbirth can be really, really beautiful for some and really traumatic for some too, right? So this is like a huge energetic experience having a child. And so kind of working through some of those pieces can be really important as well. When we come back, we're going to continue this part of our conversation because I don't think it gets quite enough information. I don't think it gets quite enough attention. But for people who want to learn more about the work that Dr. Jones does, visit apriljonesnd.com. To read the online version of Natural Awakenings magazine, visit naturaltwincities.com. You can find the podcast of this show on am950radio.com, on Apple and Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back. 
back to Green Tea Conversations. I'm your host, Candy Bravo, and today we are speaking with naturopathic doctor April Jones. So just before the break, we were talking about postpartum care. And I really want to spend a little bit more time on this because I don't think that we give it enough time in our society to really talk about the care that women deserve. You know, childbirth is such a wonderful thing, right? It's something that many of us plan for, that we hope for, that we are so excited about, but it's also the most taxing thing you can do to your body. And that's if you have a natural childbirth, but add to that if you have to have a C-section or some other type of care coming into this. I mean, it's completely thrown off your hormones, traumatic thing that has been done to your body, even though it's a natural thing that we all do, right? But we really just don't talk about it enough. And when I had a child 36 years ago, you know, we would spend many days in the hospital, sometimes up to a week in the hospital. Now people are lucky if they get 24 hours in a hospital. So it's really, really important that people get the care that they need. It can take months, if not years, to start feeling normal again, start feeling like you did prior to having a child. And sometimes you never do go back. Yeah. (laughs) Depending on the amount of sleep you get and how many children you have afterwards, right? Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about that. When people come to you and they're talking to you about what are some of the like more serious you know, you want to make sure that you're getting as much sleep as you can, that you are nourishing yourself in healthy ways, that you are moving. But what are some of the more serious ailments or situations that you see people coming to you with? Absolutely. I think that, you know, some of the more, you know, mind body things that can be going on, you know, we kind of touched on anxiety, which I think is really common, probably one of the most common things I'm seeing in a postpartum lens. There's also, you know, depression and postpartum depression, which I think is really serious. And a lot of people um, might feel ashamed that they're feeling that way. They might feel, you know, like something's wrong with them. Why can't they be enjoying this new season of life? And that is nothing to be ashamed of. And there is support out there, right? So something that I'm always making sure too is like getting people to the correct referrals if needed, right? Because if they need to be started on a medication or see a psychiatrist, you know, always wanting to make sure there's a primary care provider on board too, because I think that it is so important that we are not shaming new moms when they are, you know, experiencing postpartum depression and like getting them the help that they need. And I think what is really important, an important aspect of that is a lot of women often aren't feeling like they have the support either, right? The society that we live in, I think there's more attention to like caring for new moms because of social media. And I love that, you know, there's great books that are being written about it. One of my favorites is called The First 40 Days. Um, There's a book called Nourish. There's so many good books and so many good resources. But I think that, you know, a lot of people are feeling a lack of community. They're feeling a lack of support. Their lives have changed. Maybe they're still having to work. Maybe now they're not working and they're at home all day and they're just like adjusting to this new season. So I think that like making sure that the support system is strong. If you inherently have one, that's amazing. If you don't, there's a lot of really great groups in like the Twin Cities area just off the top of my head, I know Bluma Yoga has like some really great like postpartum support and like new mom groups. And, you know, things like that are things that I'm often helping guide patients to outside of the work that we're doing together is helping them find that support. Yes. That's the one thing we can say about social media, right? It really helps us to get connected in ways that are are healthy for us. I do want to say, I I almost laughed when you said the first 40 days. Um, I'm, I'm a leadership coach and I often recommend a book for new leaders called the first 90 days. 
right? Love that. <laughs> and looking at your first 90 days of leadership and how quick it goes and how important it is. And we're giving 40 days, 40 days, exactly. the first 40 days of having a new child, a complete change to your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In every aspect yeah. of your life. And we're saying, hey, here's what's going to happen in the first 40 days. <laughs> exactly. I know it is truly not enough time to nourish. And I think that is <laughs> absurd. It's absurd. Yes, the, the principles on that book are kind of based on like more of the Eastern traditions of nourishing the new mom kind of in that like fourth trimester stage. Right. So I think mm -hmm. that's why they kind of have it in like that day span. And like, you know, in other cultures, they're like taking the new mom in and like making her stay in bed and massaging her with warm oils and making her warm, nourishing foods, helping hold and feed the baby. You know, I mean, there are just so many beautiful traditions. And I think that, you know, having resources like that is kind of good to think about, you know, in modern society here, we're like, we sometimes have to go to work like 12 weeks after having a, a child. What can we do to either like nourish ourselves or nourish other new moms in our community too? Yep. Well, I was a single mom at 19 and went oh, back yeah, to work 10 yeah. days after I had my child. <laughs> wow. And that You're is not amazing. unusual. That is not unusual. Yeah. And so yeah, that happens even not. today. So. It really does. It really is. We have to do better. We have to do better by our new moms. We do. Uh, all yes. of our and there's moms, so many but... cool ideas. All of our moms. Yes, yeah. of course. New moms, whether it's their first baby or their third, like they need support. So there's lots of good resources out there on ways that you can support them. And for moms who maybe don't have those people in their lives, there's postpartum doulas. I'm not sure if a lot of people are familiar with that, but there's like a great network of postpartum doulas in the Twin Cities area and, you know, even outside of the Twin Cities that, you know, are trained to like kind of come do light house chores, cook meals, you know, their jobs kind of vary, but it's really to just be there to support you while you're going through this new time. And I think that that's so wonderful. Yes. Yes. You need support. Definitely. Well, we don't have a ton of time left, but we have enough time that we can at least touch on again. We kind of glossed over it earlier about perimenopause and menopause. And I know we don't have a lot of time to get into it. This is a whole show on its own. It but is, I know yes. that you have some ways that you are supporting your clients, your customers and clients who are dealing with perimenopause and menopausal issues. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you are lucky enough to know the age where your mom went through menopause, you can count back 10 years. And that is kind of when that journey is going to start. And so I think that's cool information to have. The average age of menopause is about 52 in women. So even if you don't know when your mom went through menopause or she didn't yet, you know, you can kind of assume that kind of in mid 40s is when that transition may start. And what's happening is our cycles are becoming a little bit less predictable, kind of out of our usual patterns as those eggs that are left in your ovaries are kind of starting to... I don't like to use the word decline, but you know, as we age, our DNA does get damaged, things change, right? We get wrinkles, like we age, we can see the aging on our body. And so that's happening inside your body too. So those eggs just aren't healthy enough to be able to be ovulated. And so during that perimenopausal timeframe, I think one of the biggest things that we can focus on is having really good routines and really good like self-care practices, not in a way that feels exhausting or strict or, you know, like like a schedule, but like just really slowing down, tuning in, nourishing ourselves. I feel like the theme of this conversation could be nourished, but truly like in every season of life, how can we slow down a little bit? I think that like perimenopause, if you think about women who have kids, like their kids may be kind of in those teenage years, they may be a little bit younger, they may be a little bit older, and that's a busy time of life, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe since you don't have small children anymore, it can be a time where you're kind of, you know, taking your own health back into your hands 
focusing on yourself a little bit more. And that will definitely help that transition into menopause be a little bit more gentle on the body. And then, you know, in terms of like menopausal symptoms that some women have like hot flashes, some people's metabolism slows down a little bit, mood changes. There's a lot of really great things we can do. I like to call it in my little like naturopathic toolbox, right? Whether that's like botanical medicine, you know, dietary changes, things along those lines that can also help support the body as well from a more holistic approach. So what are some of the botanical medicines that you just love to be able to help people to be able to support people during this time? Definitely. Yeah. So if there's like hot flashes, there's a lot of different herbs that are used. Black cohosh is one of them. And the herbs recommendations may change based on like the woman's personal health history, right? Because herbs do interact with different medications and whatnot. So I usually suggest that people do, you know, if you hear black cohosh, that's great, but maybe check with your provider first and before you (laughs) use it, (laughs) things along those lines. And then if we're thinking about the adrenals and kind of focusing on supporting our stress pathways and like our cortisol levels, adaptogens, right? So like ashwagandha, holy basil, which is also called Tulsi. Those are two of my favorites to kind of help like nourish and support that adrenal system as well. Very cool. So we have a couple of minutes left. And one of the things that I think a lot of people deal with as they're starting in that perimenopause, menopausal time period is they see a lot of either hair growth where you don't want it or hair loss where you really don't want to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. What is the cause of some of the hair loss? Yeah. So some of the hair loss can be a hormonal piece too, right? So we're always wanting to consider thyroid health. Hair loss can be a sign of a thyroid condition. It can also be a sign of a hormone imbalance where women, we do have testosterone in our bodies. We want to have it, but if we have too much testosterone and if we have too much of a certain form of testosterone, called dihydrotestosterone, then that can cause that male patterned hair loss that I think a lot of women are seeing in this time frame. There's a lot of lifestyle factors that go into that. And then there's also like, you know, whether you are seeing like a conventional medical provider, they even have pharmaceuticals that can help address that. Or if you're seeing a holistic health provider such as myself, there's herbs that can kind of help bring down that, that as well. And then something I should also mention is that, you know, nutrient deficiencies can cause hair loss too. And so, you know, always wanting to make sure that we're checking those nutrients and making sure that we have all of those building blocks for healthy hair growth too. Dr. Jones, thank you so much for being with us today. You have just been a plethora of information for us. Thank you. And it's really been a pleasure having you on the show. Want to invite people if you would like to learn more about what Dr. Jones does. Or if you'd like to make an appointment, visit AprilJonesND.com. And again, that's AprilJones, N as a naturopath, D as in doctor.com. To read the online version of Natural Awakenings Magazine or to check out our complete online calendar of events, visit NaturalTwinCities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on AM950Radio.com, on Apple and Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining our conversation today as we awaken to natural health. You've been listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and I am wishing for you a lovely day.